It seems that you may have landed on our channel by mistake, so I must give you fair warning. You are not in Kansas anymore. Toto could be a beautiful, mysterious, and seductive woman like me. But the Wicked Witch might be a tall, dark, and handsome, unfaithful husband. In other words, you have landed at a way station called the Tango Chicago Podcast. And your life is going to change forever. Hello. Good morning. It's afternoon here, dude. <laughs> I don't know what day it is. It's been a rough morning. So how are you doing? You know, I have a saying lately that, that this this quarantine coronavirus is like Groundhog Day, the movie. Oh yes, absolutely. But uh, you wake up and it's, it's the same thing every day. <laughs> yeah, listen, I, I'm I'm a male. We're used to being uh, monotonous and routine, so for a woman, it's a little more difficult. They like excitement and variety but when i go shopping i said is that my size yeah okay give me four of those well what color sir uh, black <laughs> you want four black yes and give me some sports jackets too uh well what color what color is that that's gray and black okay give me four of those the same color yeah, sir <laughs> so i say one thing I've been selling tango shoes, God, since 2003. Yeah. And and the person that has the all-time record of how long it took them to pick out a pair of shoes was a guy. Are you saying a guy did this? Yes. No, that guy's conflicted. No man does that. Men hate the shop. Hey, hey, that that guy's conflicted. He he he's having a transition. Hey, I don't want look, let me say something to you. I had a pair of seven hundred dollar ostrich pair boots I bought from Rush Street. And I loved okay. them because they were so beautiful. It went with my jeans and they were, you know, sort of very unique. It, it was like cowboy boots, but with ostrich. And uh they were so narrow, I've got a wide foot. It started hurting my feet, so I took it back, and they stretched it, and they took it back again, and they yanked it. And finally, the guy said, look, man, don't bring those shoes back. We can't do nothing with them. You got them so out of shape, you, you can't bring them back. I said, okay, fine. So I'm walking around my studio, and a customer comes in and says, "El, why are you limping like that? And I'm saying, well, these boots hurt my feet. And the woman says, they hurt your feet? Well, how long have you had them? I said, about six months. She said, get in my car. No receipt, no, no, no proof of purchase. She drove me from the south side of Chicago to North Rush Street. She pulled me in the store, took the shoes off of my feet. I didn't even have a pair of shoes to wear out of there. Where's the manager? Yes, ma'am. How can I take these boots back? I don't want them. <laughs> hey, hey, no. Oh, well, you stretched them out of shape. You, you don't have a receipt. It was, yes, ma'am. Would you like cash or should we credit your credit card? Give him his money back. Right now. Hey, hey, it was no discussion. People do not play with women in retail. They didn't even ask her what was wrong with him. Take this back. He doesn't want them. That was my first experience about the differences between men shopping and women shopping. When you a man goes to a store, they give you all kind of stuff about, oh, no, you can't bring that back. You worn it. I've seen women take shoes back that they've had for five years a heel got caught in a street where a heel broke in one of those sewer mesh things where it got caught while she was walking. Five sure. years. She took it back. They never questioned. Oh, yes, ma'am. How would you, would you like a refund? Would you like a new pair of shoes? Whatever you want. They catered to women in retail. 
because they know that's their money. They don't play. Well, hey, look, women just have a different uh, aesthetic. I call up women and they say, I can't talk to you. I haven't put my makeup on yet. I'm saying, I can't even see you. What difference does it make? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I haven't put my makeup on yet. I'm saying, are you crazy? What, what, what are we talking about here? Who, who, who's looking at you? You know, this is not a video call, you know. Uh, I, I can't. I, no, I'm sorry. You have to call me back. I haven't put my face on yet. Get the hell out of here. So... <laughs> Hey, so, you know, we're, we're two different types of individuals. I can tell you that from experience. So how many years are you pushing out? Oh, hell. You know what? If I wasn't a dancer right now, I'd be in a nursing home sitting on the park bench feeding pigeons. That's, uh, uh, hell, I'm lucky to be breathing. I'm, I'm, every day above ground is a good one for me. Hey, look, I, I'm like a vampire, sweetie. I don't go past a mirror and look at it. I want to remember how I looked at 18. And look in the mirror, it's going to remind me and bring me back to reality. So I don't do it. So I cover up all the mirrors in the house. I don't want to look. I just don't look anymore. <laughs> <laughs> So are we ready? You're going to take me back uh, in a little history tour here so we can get this documented because I'm I'm a minority and nobody's going to believe if I tell the story. Oh God, you need to just stop that, dude. <laughs> hey, they say he's black and he's a liar. Don't believe a word he's saying. I hear it all the time. Now, hey, when it comes out of somebody else's mouth, it's gospel. If I told half the stories that I know they put me. There was a black woman in New York. She was in this $160,000 BMW sitting at a light. So the police pulled her over and said, who does this car belong to? She said, it's mine. So they said, you're a liar. They took her in. They locked her up. She was in jail. Then she went to go to the pound to get her car, to the auto pound. And the policeman said, well, whose car are you picking up? She said, this is my car. So he called the police again and said, some woman is pretending to own a $160,000 car. So they put her in an insane asylum in the, in the psychiatric ward in New York. I'm telling you, fact check me. This is, this is reality. She, she was in a psych ward for about a week until her boss started checking around to find out why she hadn't been to work. He goes and finds out that she was arrested and she's in this holding uh, psych ward for how many hours they get to keep you without your permission. So he got her out and in front of the police guy, she said, well, this lady said uh, she owned a $160,000 BMW, and she's black. He said, yeah, and she's also vice president of the bank. And you already know you might as well get a team of lawyers together because it's going to cost you. When we cash the check that we get from suing you, your bank is going to bounce. <laughs> so if they don't believe a black woman who's the vice president of a bank, they certainly not going to believe a poor black guy like me. So I understand it. I'm okay with that. So you you are my proof. Whatever comes out of your mouth is gospel, sweetie. <laughs> no, you're so dumb. It's but you're funny. Hey, the truth is stranger than fiction. That's all I can tell you, honey. Okay, so I'm speaking with Kathleen Ahern, and how do you pronounce your last name? Kruger. Say it again. I'm, I'm Kathleen Ahern Pruker. Pruker, okay. And yeah, yeah, it's Italian. Ah, Kathleen lives in what part of Florida? I Tampa, Florida. I also live in Buenos Aires, Argentina. So she has dual homes, one in 
Florida, and one in Buenos Aires. It's in the neighborhood of San Telmo, which is um, known to be the birthplace of tango. Ah, and in fact, that's exactly where she is right now. And you've been there for how long, this stretch? I've been for over a year. Okay. We wouldn't call it a vacation. We'd call it just a little way station along the way. Yeah. I've been down here taking care of our home and dancing and seeing friends. So, yeah. What a life. That's a dancer's life. Well, can you uh, take us back? First of all, give us a little history where you were born, where you went to school, where you lived. And then we can sort of talk about your epiphany to the tango. Well, I was born in Chicago at Mother Cabrini Hospital on the west side. Ah. And when I was four years old, we moved out to Naperville. And I grew up in Naperville, went to school there. And as soon as I graduated from high school, graduated half a year early, I flew back to the city and ended up in Oak Park, and I lived in Oak Park for 18 years. And then in the year 2000, I broke up with my long-term boyfriend slash fiance, Mm -hmm. and I decided I wanted to go out, but I I didn't want to go to bars, and I didn't want to do that scene. So I got introduced to tango, and I started tango classes. Well, tell me, How did that introduction happen? Take me back to that moment when you were introduced. Where were you? How did it happen? Well, that's actually a a great story. I got introduced to Erica Hilton, who owned an art gallery in the um, west side of Chicago, the near west side of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And she also happened to give me longas at her art gallery. And so I got introduced to her, and she invited me to a private dinner party benefit for Tibetan monks um, <laughs> in, 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 to help raise money for their school in Tibet. And <laughs> in the middle of the party, she gave an impromptu tango demonstration, and I was absolutely enthralled with it. It's like... I want that. Wow. So had the Tibetan monks given a demonstration, we would expect you to be in the Himalayas right now, right? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, mean, they, I mean, they were dressed complete with their, with their bright orange um, robes and stuff. Uh-huh. It, and they were amazingly wonderful people. It was a very magical evening for me. It was wow. great. Wow. So at that point, had you seen any tango prior to that? Or had you been exposed to any Argentine well, tango? Well, the only other what happened a little bit before that was I was at with a friend at a wine bar, and they were playing Astor Piazzolla Tango Zero Ora. Mm-hmm. And I've always been a jazz person, and a classical person, music-wise. Okay. I love a lot of genres of music, and I absolutely fell in love with Piazzolla. Uh-huh. To the point where the owner actually took the CD out of the player and gave it to me as a gift. Whoa. And so before I even saw the dance tango, other than, of course, everyone has seen, you know, the old movies, Mm-hmm. Uh, with the rose in the mouth and that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. um, I fell in love with Piazzolla's music. Okay, so when you went to the uh, party with the Tibetans, it sort of brought all those things together then, huh? Yeah, it, it did in in being an old person in Technicolor because it, gets, it just made the, the music come alive. And I saw people moving in interpretation to the music, and it was just incredibly beautiful. Wow. So are you an artsy person by nature, or are you more uh, on the analytical side? Or what's, your, what's, your back, what's your background based on your work? 
Oh, basically, I'm 50-50. I have an accounting background. Mm-hmm. I have a construction um, real estate background. Mm-hmm. I have awards for my art um, in many different um, modalities. So I'm definitely a 50-50 person. Okay. So you could appreciate the, the artistry involved. Absolutely. Okay. So... Progress me from there. What happens? What took you from being a voyeur to a participant? How did it happen? Well, I, I decided I really wanted to take um, lessons, and Erica was, was busy with her business. Mm-hmm. And so after waiting a couple months and being really eager to get going, I decided to take um, some classes mm-hmm. um, with Erica and Doug on Thursday nights. Okay. Only I realized in in a short time that one hour a week, one day a week, I was not going to learn this dance. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I sought out and found your practica. I was on Broadway, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. On Friday night. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's what really, I'm like, okay, fine. I got six o'clock till midnight, I think, it, with, with that kind of concentrated hours, mm-hmm. I knew I was going to move my dance mm-hmm. because with, I forget about it because it's not an easy dance whatsoever. Well, now you're scaring me. You mean, you mean tango's not easy? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you mean you just can't pick it up and watch people on the floor and just walk out there and do it? Get out of here. Men do it all the time. <laughs> yeah, they fake it all the time, but they're not very good at it. <laughs> so you're taking the class, you're doing the practica, and how, how much time do you think you put into the classes? Speaking about how difficult it was, how, how much time did you actually attribute to your tango? Uh, I was almost always there at the beginning and I almost always stay to the end. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> For sure. I know. <laughs> I was there. I mean, that, this is something that I really wanted. It was, I saw it as being beautiful. The music was beautiful. It really moved me and it was something that I really wanted. So were you still working at the time that you were doing this or were you, did you take a sabbatical or how, how did that how did you parse your time? I, I was working um, full time as a real estate broker. I had my own business mm-hmm. and um, I was in the middle of rehabbing my house to sell it in Oak Park. Yeah. And so, I mean, I was jacking up my house. I, I was um, putting in new bathrooms, a brand new bathroom on the second floor where there was no plumbing. I did all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I made time for my passion. Wow. So tell me, how did you progress from practica into actual social dance? How long did that take from initial classes to actually doing a little social dance? How, what was that process like? Maybe about three months. Okay. And I have to tell you that you had a lot to do with it. Uh, okay. What respect is that? I mean, well, remember when Club Seven Twenty on Tuesday night? Seven Twenty Club, City? yeah. Mm-hmm. And you said, you, you know, come on in, and I'm like, no, no, I'm not ready. And I remember the first few milongas that I went there, I actually hid up in the balcony <laughs> so no one would. <laughs> You weren't by you was, weren't by yourself. That's for sure. I'm sure there's a lot of people hiding. <laughs> I, I was hiding because I was like so embarrassed. I didn't want to make a fool of myself. And you're like, no, no, no. And so, and I remember your table that you would have for the beginners. Mm-hmm. And and I would actually feel a little bit more comfortable being there. Mm-hmm. Um. And you took me under your wing, and I really appreciate that. I really do. Well, um, I learn more from from my students than they learn from me. That's for sure. It's so. Thank you. 
<laughs> Go ahead. When actually did you get on the dance floor after hiding in the balcony? I got on the dance floor a little bit after that. Mm-hmm. And then I thought that I was good enough to actually take workshops. Okay. Um, some, some of the incoming traveling professionals. And I remember mm-hmm. my first workshop was with Gloria and Eduardo. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, Gloria just passed away, I think, a yeah. month and a half ago. Yeah, she did. Mm-hmm. And, and so someone was, and I, I, I the, the organizer promised me that I, I was good enough to take the classes and Boy, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> so then I, I got through that embarrassment. And, and a few years later, when I got to be a really good dancer, mm-hmm. someone actually did a video of that workshop. Oh. And I looked at it, and I'm like, oh, my God, how horrible. <laughs> Everybody starts at exactly the same place. Nobody escapes being a beginner. Okay. Yeah, there, there no gene that you're instilled with that no. makes you a, a dancer. It's, it's hard work. Not only that, <laughs> nothing prepares you for it. You know, people come from ballet, they come from martial arts, they come from every other endeavor, and they feel, I'm a professional ice skater, I can do this. No, it's unique. No, you can't. It's very unique <laughs> into, to itself, and and everybody starts exactly at zero. No, you, you're doing the right thing. So you took some workshops. A whole bunch of workshops. Ah, how many, would, how many is a whole bunch? I took every single workshop from every single traveling professional that came through Chicago at that time. And we're talking... 2001. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I am seriously, I took every single workshop. So, so would the word addiction apply to you at that point? Well, I'm going to be a little kinder to myself. I called <laughs> myself the tango sponge. A sponge. Okay. All right. That, that... I couldn't get enough of it. Okay. So you were. Soaking it up as much as possible. Absolutely. Okay, all right. After a couple years of dancing in Chicago, mm-hmm. and, you know, when you concentrate on it, when you focus on it, not only was I taking all these workshops, I was going up dancing every, almost every night of the week. Okay. I was practicing at home in my living room. Mm-hmm. Um, I really wanted it. Then after two years, I decided to treat myself to a trip down to Buenos Aires. Uh, before you take the trip to Buenos Aires, let me ask you, did you have a steady dance partner at that time, or were you dancing with everybody? I was dancing with everyone. I did I did have somewhat of, of a partner, and it was kind of weird. It was just because... I really wanted to have a, a partner for the workshops, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I didn't have a boyfriend or anything like that. So, mm-hmm. um, Michael Goldie was dancing with another woman at that time, taking classes. Yeah. I found out that she had a boyfriend. Uh-oh. So, I said, well, okay, fine. Can I borrow Michael? when you're not going to take workshops with them. Okay. And she said, sure, no problem. <laughs> hey, wait, wait, wait. This this is a real tango woman thing. You know, you you did some horse trading to get a partner. You borrowed a woman's partner to take workshops with? Well, yeah, because if, if, if he was her, her boyfriend or husband or whatever... I, I would never ever intrude. <laughs> so, so, so you analyze the situation. You saw where there was an opening, and you inserted yourself. Is that is that how it happened, or am I putting? <laughs> Absolutely. 
And Michael Goldie was an encyclopedia of tango moves. He remembered all of them. Yeah, that's that's him, all right. So I was like, well, okay, fine. You know, and as a follow, I don't need to know to lead the moves. I just need to know how to follow them. Okay. Uh, and I do believe in women leading, absolutely. Yeah. But at, at this point, I was partners with, with Michael Goldie whenever... I forget her name. And, and whenever, whenever she was with her boyfriend and couldn't come, so really well. That's that, that's hilarious, uh, ma'am. Could I borrow your husband? You're not using him right now. This this is why tango women rule. Only a tango woman would take the initiative to do that. Go ahead. Tell tell me about your trip that you granted for yourself. You said you were going to take a trip. Mm-hmm. Down here, I um, Jorge Nieves decided to come back into tango, and he asked me to be his partner. Okay, which was really cool for me because um, he was a professional um, oh. ballet dancer down here in, mm-hmm. in, in 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 Teatro Colon with the ballet. Okay, and I was practicing with him for about two and a half hours a day because he wanted to do a performance mm-hmm. uh, for the Consul General of Argentina's annual ball. Mm-hmm. And so he asked me to do it with him, and I, I, I jumped at the chance. Mm-hmm. And so I got a lot of structure from him. Gotcha. Um, and so that worked. And then, of course, he told me when I went down to Buenos Aires, don't you dare even try to come back with all this Milonguero stuff. <laughs> Which, of course... When I came down here and saw the difference in style of dance down here, of course I wanted it because <laughs> it was totally about the music and the rest of it. My first trip down to Buenos Aires, I actually met my husband here at a Milonga. Can you tell us how it happened? Sure. We were in the Bowen Suites Hotel. I was roomies with Valerie. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Phoebe Grant was down here, and she had met Steve, my husband, in Florida. Yeah. Um, and he had recently broken up with his girlfriend, and so she introduced us at a milanga. Another and tango woman fanning an opening. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that is totally amazing. Hey, go, go, gone are the days where women sit back and wait to be noticed. Only tango women seize the Absolutely. moment. <laughs> Absolutely. And you better believe that I wore some really hot, sexy outfits so I would have all the good dancers ask me to dance. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Go on. Anyway, so Steve, being a very attractive young man, all the women were after him. Mm-hmm. And I had a line of guys asking me to dance. And so we really didn't hook up because once we actually got to start talking, someone would snag him to dance and someone would snag me to dance. So mm-hmm. Phoebe, this excuse, I had bought so many dance shoes that when after the festival, I went to a much more pocket-easy um, family hotel around the corner. Mm-hmm. And so he gave Steve, she said, I, I, I owed Kathleen money or Kathleen needed to borrow money from me or something like that. Mm-hmm. So she sent the money with Steve to the hotel around the corner, and Steve and I spent... The next three days in Buenos Aires, just hanging out and really liking each other. Mm-hmm. And then when I got back to um, Chicago, I had a CD that there was only the last one of that he decided to share with me. Mm-hmm. And then I invited him to Chicago. And then within a year, I moved down to Florida. And that's, that's his hometown. Yeah, well, no, his hometown. <laughs> I actually, 
actually went all the way to Buenos Aires to meet someone from Florida that grew up in Evanston. Get out of here. Are you serious? I know. He actually he was born in Evanston, and he, he was from the north suburbs. But he, his parents had moved down to Florida, I don't know, 40 years ago. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. My family, funny thing is, my grandparents and my aunts and my uncles moved down to Tampa. So it was just a really weird Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Small world. So you went to uh, Florida to requaint your friendship, and what happened? Actually, um, I invited him up to Chicago. How how long after you met him in in Buenos Aires did you uh, invite him to Chicago? Well, I stayed for about two, three weeks longer than he did. Yeah. And when I came home... There was this CD with his phone number. So I wasn't going to sit around waiting. I called him up and <laughs> I said, You want to come to Chicago? And he said, Sure. <laughs> oh my God. Tango woman. And so he accepted your invitation and. Um, and then we started doing the long distance relationship thing. Uh-huh. Um, at the time, there was ATA Airlines. Yeah. And it was $34 round-trip air freighters from Tampa to Chicago. 34 bucks. $34 round-trip. That's a cheap date. Really cheap date. Wow. So... So we did the back and forth for a year. Mm-hmm. And then... We decided to go back down to Sita, where we met. Sita and, is um, the Sita is the uh, festival that they do every every year around March in Argentina for tango dances. Correct. Exactly. It, it's normally around the middle of March. Okay. And so we came back down here, and when because I was a real estate broker in Chicago, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I had been kind of looking around for properties because the, the um, because the economy had crashed hugely. They went bankrupt. What, and so I had wanted to... What year was I that? Was in, um, 2003 was my first trip. Okay. And in 2004, Steve and I came back down here together mm-hmm. and we actively looked for a property to purchase together. Mm-hmm. And we found this place that's it's amazing. It's a 2,600-square-foot historic apartment right in downtown Buenos Aires in San Telmo. Mm-hmm. So we went back to Sita, and we found this place, and I did a historic renovation. And between 2003 and 2004, I started my tango shoe business, where I started designing tango shoes. Okay. And something's missing here. What I don't know what Steve's history is in dance. How how long had he been dancing, and what sort of got him started? Well, that's really funny because Steve loves to tell the story. Uh oh. And it's absolutely true that he was a Harley rider. Harley motorcycle. And- Harley motorcycle, and he used to go to motorcycle rallies. And the only dancing that he ever did, yeah, and he and he does this all the time: two beers in me, and then I'll dance rock and roll like I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> so he's standing on the table in a bar, drinking his beers, huh? Well, he's not really a standing on the table kind of guy, but. Get a, get a couple beers in him. He might he might dance rock and roll. Okay, all and, right. And and we teach now, of course. And so he he loves to tell people. It's like it, <clears throat> if, if if you have no dance experience, 
it's actually better because you're not you're not carrying any bad habits into tango. So how, what started him? What got him doing? How did he get into tango? Um, his girlfriend before me. It's. She he met her on a flight, I think, from Tampa to Miami, and she was a tango organizer and a um, a partner with Victor Crichton because she had a um, a ballet background, and so Steve um, had a relationship with her. And she introduced him to tango, um, and then that didn't work out. And then Steve decided to go down to Buenos Aires for for Cita, and that's and Phoebe knew that him and his girlfriend had broken up a few months before, so that's why she introduced us. Whenever a man gets into tango, it's always a woman, isn't it? It's- you know, I think so. It's always a woman. When you ask the man, well, what got you into tango? I can almost guarantee 100% there's a woman behind it (coughs) somewhere. There's very few men that just wake up and say, you know, I think I want to dance tango. Uh, You know, it's always a woman who's egging them on and dragging them in by the collar. Wow. So, okay, so you guys are down there, you're shopping for property, and and you find a, a place that you love, and? And we bought it. And, and being the contractor slash realtor slash accountant type person, I had, I had all of my architects lined up to mm-hmm. do a historic renovation. So I went back to Chicago, and I was selling my house in Oak Park. Yeah. I already sold my apartment building in Forest Park. Yeah. And when the house finally closed, I came back down here and finished the the renovation. Mm-hmm. And um, that was back in 2004. Okay. So we've had some awesome parties here. Wow. So, wait a minute. So, what year did you get married? We got married in 2010. So, let's see. Let me take this chronology back. You started dancing tango what year? 2001? 2000. 2000. Between 2000 and 2001. You went to Buenos Aires in what year? First time? 2000. 2003. So three, so two, three years later, you go to Buenos Aires. You have a chance meeting with uh, your prospective soulmate, and a year or two later, you're buying a mansion in Buenos Aires, and you're selling. Exactly one year later. One year later, you're buying a mansion in Buenos Aires. You're selling your. Your your forever home in Oak Park, and changing your life around. So, what happens between buying the house in in Buenos Aires in 2010 when you said "I do"? What what was your life like there? Well, it was it was seven years. Um, like I said, I started designing tango shoes. And so it was a really great excuse to come down here, spend time in this beautiful house. Mm-hmm. I would go and, and buy leathers, and then I would go to the factories, and I would um, put together my orders and my new designs. Mm-hmm. And then I was out dancing for a month while the shoes were being made. Mm-hmm. Then I would pick them up and then export them out of here and go home. And now, what was Steve doing while you were doing your entrepreneurial shoe business? What was he doing? What was his business? His business is he owns a dental laboratory. He makes crowns and bridges. Okay. He's been doing that since he was 13 years old. Get out of here. Oh, yeah. Wow. His sister worked in a dental laboratory, and so he 
talked to the owner of the dental laboratory to let him work. Mm -hmm. And of course, for absolutely nothing. And so the owner thought that was a great deal. And he ended up being very good at it. And now he owns his own laboratory. Wow. What a story. You're having shoes made in the factory. You're traveling mm-hmm. back and forth to, from Buenos Aires to Florida now, right? Yep. And tell me, uh, how did you find the tango community in Florida when you decided to invade Florida? (laughs) (laughs) That's the only way I can say it. You're a Chicago person. Two, you're a tango woman. That's that's not a visit. So uh, once you invaded Florida, how did you find the tango community? What shape was it in? There was one milonga a month. And coming from Chicago, where I was dancing five, six nights a week most times, yeah. I called it the Tango Desert. And I have a motto. If you don't like how something is, you do something to change it. Here, here. I agree. So rather than complain that there was no tango, I decided to start organizing stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I had been DJing. I helped Jorge in mm-hmm. and so I, I had started to DJ out of necessity. Mm-hmm. And then I started DJing in Tampa. And then we started with practicas. And then I started organizing milongas. Wow. And what length of time did that take? We're talking about 2005 to how how long did it take you to get organized and get up with the with your own Well, longer? I started the practicas about 2005ish. Okay. And then I started the Mizangas. I had been DJing almost since I hit Florida. Mhm. Um, you were you were DJ you you were DJing in somebody else's milonga, right? Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And our and our practica, of course. Right. Then in two thousand nine, we started. Someone that had been organizing milongas had left to relocate to Miami. Yeah. And I I asked about this one venue. And, and they had Tuesday night open. The person that was doing it before had no turnout, and they didn't want us in there. And so we were on probation. I talked them into it. Right. And it was on Tuesday night, and everyone on the planet told me that I could never make a good milonga on a Tuesday night. <laughs> and I laughed. I'm like, I'm from Chicago. <laughs> Uh, 720 was on a Tuesday night, 80 people a night, so, hey. Exactly. And so I'm like, no, 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 I'm from Chicago. And this venue is like a, it was built, the recent rendition was built in 1930. It has a 5,000-square-foot Canadian maple floor. Wow. And it is exactly on the beach, you look out at two different sides of the windows, and you look at the beach. Oh, my God. And so I'm like, no, 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 no. 720 was awesome because the venue was awesome. The energy was awesome. Yeah. And so it, it's, it was 2009. It's almost 11 years that we've had it, and it is now the biggest milonga in central Florida. Get the hell out of here. Unbelievable. Now, what's the name of your milonga? Tango Tuesday. (laughs) So you really rubbed it in, didn't you? (laughs) No, actually, it was my name. I had, um, Steve didn't, Steve initially didn't want to do it. Now he absolutely loves it. Everyone loves it. Mm -hmm. Um, Another friend of mine that I, I went in on it, we checked out all the places we also, at that time, checked out the Fifth Saturday Milonga, mm-hmm. which was abandoned. 
previous organizer. Yeah. And so we got that one together, and the first Saturday became available. We took it over. Mm-hmm. The second Saturday became available. We took it over, and then I said, you know what? This is too much. Someone else has to come up and handle some of this. Okay. I don't want to be the queen of Tango in Tampa. I just want to be an active organizer. So what was Steve's objection? You said he didn't want to do it at first, or he didn't want to be involved. What was his objection? Because he just just wanted to go and have fun. He didn't want to work. I see. Okay. He knew it was going to be a lot of work. Oh, my God, it is a lot of work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I cook. I put out a huge buffet every Saturday Milanga. It is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. I understood his objection to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, don't you have your students helping? Yeah, they pitch in hugely, but I'm not one that does things halfway. Yeah. So when I talk about a buffet, I don't mean spaghetti. <laughs> no, you're talking about a whole seven-course meal there, huh? Pretty much, yeah. I, I completely understand my husband's. But you know what? Putting out that kind of food really helps to attract new people to the community. And it's not about making money. It's about building community. So how many people do you think you have on a either a Tuesday or a Saturday? Which, which is your biggest night? Biggest night by far is Tuesday. Um, during during the winter when it's snowbird season, when people come down and stay for two three months yeah. to escape the winter, yeah, um, we'll have normally in the eighties up to hundred, sometimes over a hundred people on a Tuesday. On a Tuesday. Wow. Where they would never get more than twenty five people. <laughs> Wow. So, and what about in the summer? In the summer, we get about 60 to 70. That's still a good number. And you do this every week, uh, every other week, or every third week, or what? Every single week, every Tuesday. Really? And you've been doing this for how long now? 10, 11 years. Wow. It's even better at the casino, and it was never gambling, it was always a ballroom. And it's owned by the city. Um, they have they have ballroom, they have salsa, they have swing, and they have tango. And I'm really proud of the fact that tango is the second most attended dance at that facility behind swing. And what's your demographics? What, what, what's the age group? Do you have a, a lot of young people? Do you have mostly seniors and retired people? Is there a mixture? What, what would you say the demographics are? It's, it's a mixture. Steve and I have really been proactive. There's, anyway, we, we have gone to the different universities in the area. Mm-hmm. And we went, actually had some students that, that came to our classes that were like, the rest of my students in, in my college need to come here. Yeah. So we had a foot in the door, and we went there and did an event where we taught classes. At, at the college? At the college. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As, a de- as a demonstration, right? Demonstration, and we handed out free passes. To the Milonga. Yeah, and our Milonga is hugely cheap. It's $8, and it includes an hour-and-a-half class. Before the Milonga? Yep. So what time does the class start? Um, it starts at 6.30, it goes to 8, and then the Milonga is 8 until 11. Three hours of Milonga dancing, huh? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. Everything for $8? That's, that is pretty reasonable. It is. It is. And we can do it that inexpensive because it's run by the city of Gulfport, and it's considered a community service. But they don't subsidize you guys, though, right? No, no. We just do a split at the door. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So what's, the re- what's your retention rate with the people that you've taught 
and that you're promoting all these college kids and you're, what's the retention rate of regulars? Are they steadily coming in with new people all the time or do you retain 75, 80% of your uh, regulars? Or is it a constant turnover and visitors? What's, what, what would be the dynamics there? Turnover seasonally with our snowbirds. Okay. Okay. And then, of course, with the college students, they go through their four-year program, and some of them stay in the community, but many of them go somewhere else if they plan on going beyond in their studies. Right. Okay. Masters, the rest of it. We've had a lot of... We're getting a little bit more of an older crowd because... There's a lot more people retiring down to Florida. Absolutely. And the good thing about that is we're getting some really great dancers from all over the U.S. deciding to retire in Florida. Whoa. On top of which, there's a lot of international and Argentine professionals that are now living in Florida. Junior Servila and Guadalupe Garcia are living in Sarasota. Okay. Um, Fabian Salas and Lola Diaz are living in Orlando. Ton of artists living in Miami. Leandra Obar, Adrian Versace, they live in Miami. There's a ton. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're getting a lot of really good talent-rich international Argentine people choosing to live in Florida. And we've had decades of, we, we're here almost 20 years, yeah. of, of people knowing how to teach mm-hmm. that a local teacher. In fact, when I have international teachers come in and t- teach workshops at our Milangas, I contact the local teachers and I ask them, to do follow-up workshops to embed what the international teachers came in and taught. Yeah, so reinforce what they learned so they they don't lose it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. What's the gender makeup in your milongas? Are they generally more women sitting and the men are sparse, or is it evenly? Okay? My husband is actually a very good follow. Mm-hmm. A lot of the, of the leads are also actually very good follows. Okay. A lot of the follows are very good leads. Okay. So some milongas, there's going to be women sitting and not happy. And some milongas, and I actually find this a little bit humorous, the guys get really pissed when they're sitting. <laughs> yeah, of course. Because they're used to women always, you know, wanting to dance with them. Mm -hmm. And so when gender balance goes the other way, Mm -hmm. they're not very happy about that. Well, sometimes it's a a good lesson in empathy to have them sit for a while. In fact, in milongas that we did here, we always had a women's choice for 30 minutes or 40 minutes so that men had to sit. And if the women didn't choose them, they just sat and looked stupid. And the ladies got to pick and, hey, the women didn't pick you, you just sat. And that changed the dynamics quite a bit after that woman's choice was over for 40 minutes or 30 minutes, however long it lasted. And we mixed it up a couple of times during the night. Men got much more attentive because they then realized what it felt to be passed over and not not considered the women would all 10 women would run to the best dancers and everybody else would look really stupid like what am I chopped liver <laughs> you know so so it, it goes ways absolutely everyone has feelings no one likes to be looked over that's right you know Especially if they put the work in. If if they've gone to workshops and and they've really tried hard, they practice at home, and they've actually honed their skills, 
not everyone's going to be the best dancer on the planet, but at least you need to try. There's a certain secret sauce to getting men to ask you to dance, and this is some of the things that we instill in our followers so we know they can lead and follow. There's other things that are in play when people walk into a milonga and you're sitting. You just need to know how to schmooze people, how to not be left sitting when everybody else is having fun. And it's really a life lesson because if you know how to do that in a milonga, you know how to do it in your workplace. You don't get passed over for promotions. You don't get passed over for uh, husband candidates because you you become proactive. You You work in the moment. And you don't let a moment slip by. Learning tango is like learning life. It's it's a life lesson for sure. So, well, that's pretty interesting. What's in the near future? What do you see happening? This is 2020. What do you see happening in the next year or two with tango, with how you are handling what you're doing? What's going to change? Anything? Well, <clears throat> Of course, it has to change, at least in the short term. Okay. We're talking about a highly contagious pandemic. Absolutely. Um, So part of what we do in our methodology of teaching Mm -hmm. is to teach people structure. Because no matter what style of tango you have, if you have a good structure, balance, axis, um, energy, the rest of it, then you can put any type of style of, of tango on top of that and it'll work. Absolutely. Because it's, it's structure. And so you can actually do several structure exercises where you don't have to have contact. And actually, that's the best, in my opinion, because people can't use other people as their balance beam. I agree. And I think there is room for teaching based on self-structure. And there are certain props that you can use um, to help people gain structure without hurting someone else. And you can get social distancing in there. Mm-hmm. And I think definitely that is, is where the future is. What you see basically is a new normal in the way that you apply your teaching for your students. They're going to be some distancing, maybe some mask wearing. Uh, There's absolutely mask wearing. I've asked, <clears throat> I have some members of the community mm-hmm. that, you know, tango skirts and the rest of it, and I've asked them to make a bunch of masks and we're going to absolutely promote the the wearing of masks and I've asked them to make them in really cool fabrics and colors so people can color coordinate them so they're not this sterile um, hospital masks but a tango accessory and I think Thinking of masks as a tango accessory is probably the future for a while. Mask to, to match the shoes that you sell, right? To match the shoes, match the dress. <laughs> Spoken like a true woman. Unbelievable. And Absolutely. A fashionista in the middle of a pandemic. You're, you're a woman <laughs> for sure. If you deny entrance and say nobody gets in without a mask, that's one way, but... You're right. They should be appealing. They... It needs to be encouraged. Yes. You know, anything is you can't come in without a mask, appropriate, in my opinion. It's not the way to get people to change their behavior. But the thing is, once it's voluntary, as soon as they come in, they take it off because, oh, it's voluntary. I didn't have to do it. That concept is no different than your teaching concept. Either you let people dance crazy and you say, oh, you did well and you don't fix it. Or you set a standard and you say, hey, this is the minimum standard. Either you on balance, on in the music, your connection is good, or 
you're not dancing tango. And that, of course, is not what people are normally used to because it's demonstrative and dramatic. If you can't force yourself to be uh, direct and, and precise, then you just sort of accept what people give you. And it just depends on your personality. If I want to sleep at night and not think about what I should have said or didn't do, everything's got to be left on the dance floor. You say what you got to say when it's happening. Some people you're going to hurt some feelings. Some people you're going to piss off. But the rest of the people are going to get it, and they're going to be great dancers. That's sort of a masculine opinion how things work. So don't hate me for it, but that's just... uh, a policy that works at uh, any time. My policy, the thing is, is at Tango Tuesday, yeah. we have a 5,000-square-foot dance floor. Wow, nice. So we take the chairs from, and, and it's a huge place. So we take the chairs and we cut off like a quarter of the dance floor. Okay. Because other than that, you have 300 people in there, you're not going to fill it up. Correct. Okay. And you can have 100 people in there and it'll look like the place is empty. Right. So we take a quarter of the floor and that quarter of the floor is where we give our classes. And we invite all of our students to practice the entire night and we will come by and we will help them and other members of the community come by and they help them. Nice. Okay. Nice. My absolute rule is there's no teaching on the dance floor. And what about uh, line of dance? How do you enforce that? I am a huge. <laughs> in, in, in our classes on yeah. line of dance, yeah. I start putting chairs so people can't cut. I stop the, the practice area of our class and I go, there is absolutely. <laughs> No passing on this dance floor. You respect the line of dance. There's no ping pong balls. Okay. And and then people, some people get angry at me. But I'm like, look, you're beginning to learn how to do this dance. Mm-hmm. How nervous does it make you when someone cuts right in front of you and you don't want know what to do? Mm-hmm. You need to give the respect to everyone else. In the class, as, as you would like to have respect to you. Without a doubt. And so then when they still don't do that, then I actually play roadblock. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So you start, you have your limits, in other words. Well, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to play tango Nazi, but then again, I want people to respect other people so they feel comfortable enough to go from the classroom to the dance floor. And if people are cutting in front of them and the rest of it, how are you going to do that? Uh, it sounds like uh, you haven't left Chicago much. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the issues that you're facing there are issues that we face everywhere. It's everywhere. You know, I, I, I have a camper van and a 16-foot trailer, and I have taken my shoes all over the U.S., to different communities, um, and it's the same everywhere. They're the same problems everywhere. So give give us the name of your shoe company again. Diva Boutique, and I have to thank you for that name. I know you do, baby, because I named you the Diva. <laughs> You've made it what it is, the Diva Boutique. Uh, that's the shoe business, and give us the Milonga name again. Is it Tuesday Tango? www.diva-boutique.com. Okay. And Tuesday Milonga is Tango Tuesday at the Gulfport Casino Ballroom in Gulfport, Florida. And then we have our first Saturday in Pinellas Park, Florida. Okay. We have our fourth Saturday in Tampa, Florida. And then we have our fifth Saturday back in Pinellas Park. And is there a website for your for the shoe business or no? The shoe business again is www.diva-boutique.com. Boutique.com. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. And people that want to contact you in Florida or that's going to be vacationing or passing through that might want to take a private class or participate? Well, that would be email mm-hmm. because right now I'm in Buenos Aires. Yes. So that would be email at... At who? M-E dot com? M-E. dot com. So you've heard it from the diva and by way of Buenos Aires through Florida, but really from Chicago, the diva. You got it. <laughs> Chicago's own and making a difference for those people who don't think that tango can make a difference. You've heard it from from the horse's mouth. She's done what Jimmy Stewart says, a wonderful life. And it's really tango-based. Without tango, she'd be selling buildings here at, in Oak Park in Chicago and living a very normal life. Now she's living an abnormally wonderful life. So there you go. <laughs> so my hellos to Steve. Tell him I'm sorry we didn't get to talk to him. I know he's uh, busy making the donuts, as they say. I will do that, sweetheart. Thank you so much. Thanks, babe. See you later. Bye. Okay, ciao. Are you reaching for the stars but need a rocket boost to get you there? Are you ready for some mind shifting that will propel you into a new and exciting future? If so, you may be my ideal client. I'm Dr. Elizabeth Ann Stewart, a board-certified ICF professional life coach. You can learn more about my coaching services at www.elizabethannwithanestewart.com. Take my life assessment quiz and receive a complimentary computer-generated analysis of your results. And if you wish, you can also schedule a 30-minute complimentary phone conversation with me. Again, I'm Dr. Elizabeth Ann Stewart, ready to take you to the stars. www.elizabethannwithanestewart.com This is Elle of Tango Chicago. The stories that you're hearing are all from our current or former students who have paid a big price in time and money to learn the art of tango. They've suffered through our fastidious teaching style to become great tango dancers. Wherever they go, they don't sit. People want to dance with them. So if you're a dancer, this last episode of The Diva should give you a lot of encouragement of what can happen when you put the time in and what you should expect if you're trained well. So if you've enjoyed hearing our episodes and you want to be notified of more stories as we upload them, please be sure to follow us on Spotify. Our next episode, episode four, will be of some icons in tango. I think they're some of the best dancers in Chicago. We trained them. Now they train other people. And I think you'll find them fascinating. Join us for episode four next episode.